This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And we're here today uh, with none other than Peachy Keenan, um, who a lot of people, a lot of you will know from Twitter. She writes for American Mind, and she's got a book called Domestic Extremists, A Practical Guide to Winning the Culture War, coming out uh, the Tuesday after this is being recorded. That's Tuesday, June 6th. Uh, from Regnery Publishing. Everyone should pick it up. Dan and I checked it out. It's a great book, and we'll be talking about it today. Um, we're, we'll endeavor, we're recording this uh, the Sunday before the release day of the book. We're going to endeavor to post on Monday or Tuesday so it can coincide nicely with the release of the book. Uh, but Peachy, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Um, Peachy, you also, of course, were an honored guest two weeks ago at New Rights' first ever live reading event here in los angeles um and that that that's that event is where i kind of met you for the first time although i've been aware of you online for, for a long while and i think we've i've definitely followed you and maybe we've even been mutual followers uh for a long while but that was our first time meeting in person um and thank you again for uh for coming and for agreeing to do the reading and the q a after i definitely added a great flavor uh, to the night um, and it was a good chance, obviously, for you to promote your book. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I um, wanted to acknowledge that, not not like a land acknowledgement or anything, but just acknowledge the, <laughs> I guess, the uh, the continuity of that, of how that's kind of how, yeah, I think you've, you, you've been aware of us, we've been aware of you for a long time, but we finally got down yeah. to doing an episode sort of because of, of that. Um, so I guess, yeah, did you have any... I remember even in, in person, you were talking about how, how kind of awesome it was to see such a, a crowd of, you know, sort of conservative leaning people in Los Angeles. Did you have any other thoughts like that? On, on the oh, event? yeah, that was totally yeah. wild. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry you couldn't be there, Dan, but I was just like blown away because I had no idea, like, would anyone come to this? Like, we're <laughs> in like deep L.A., like what? And it was so it was like packed. And then as we're talking, you know, it was me, Delicious Tacos, Curtis Yarvin. Mm-hmm. Like the crowd was just sort of wrapped and like quiet. There was no heckling. You know, I was sort of nervous uh, going in. Oh, I me was, too, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Like Antifa was going to show like, you know, <laughs> no. I've never been out. That was my first time sort of out publicly as peachy anywhere. Mm-hmm. Ever. Yeah. And no, it looked like a great event, really. It I, was uh, magical. I wish I could have been. It was magical. It's kind of surreal for me. I mean, it really... Totally. I think this it is was. The, the the first time I'm talking about, I guess, on the podcast. Like it was um it was very much the product of just like random sort of like I reached out to Curtis, not really expecting him to necessarily want to do it, but he was like, let's do it. Uh reach out to Delicious Tacos. Like, you know, I thought maybe we'd be able to get him, but he was also very much game. And then you, you know, came came to I, Isaac Simpson, friend of the pod. Uh, Isaac Simpson from the Carousel is the one who kind of outreached, reached out to you. Um, but, you know, by the time we had three people, it was like, man, this is a real event. Then Lomez got interested and, and it gained so much of a life of its own. And it was such a kind of short time frame of just really about two and a half weeks of really planning it that by the time it happened and 150 people showed up, it was just kind of this surreal thing. Like, wow, this is real. Um, I was ner- It felt like it would be worth it, you know, even if there was a little bit of friction or something. But uh, but I, but it really went off without a hitch. And I was I was thrilled about that um so except for tacos almost falling off the stage but he's yes <laughs> i had forgotten about that yeah and, and he's like, sober these days too so yeah. uh... it wasn't his fault the chair was wobbly or something mm-hmm. yeah it was great i hope that isaac um throws more with hadrian or wherever um yeah it was just, i think it was so cool like afterwards 
like young guys were coming up to me, like followers of mine and like meeting readers in real life in real time was just like an amazing experience, you know, as an anon. Oh yeah. You know, you sit in your room. Yeah. It's just such a thrill, like to actually have someone who's just like, oh yeah, I follow you. I I listen to you. I like, I'm a fan of your writing. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm not, this is a real thing that exists in the real world. And that's just like an amazing feeling. Yeah. Asking me to sign my book. I had a few copies there for sale. I sold out all 11 copies. I was like Hmm. thrilled, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, I'm not sure. I think you probably could have sold more if you had more, you know, I mean, these were special advanced copies, right? Yeah. It was just so (laughs) cool. And it was like, wow, you know, you, you're, you're writing this stuff. You're throwing it on the internet. Like who knows? Like, like my mother reads it. That's all I know, you know? And to get that real-time feedback is just very, you know, it's very empowering, as they say. Yeah, no, totally. I I agree. And um, I do think there's going to be more of such events. I think some conversations are already happening. And I think uh, we'll we'll move on from the event and talk about the book very shortly. But I do think um, the the event was a good kind of proof of concept and a a proof of like that we're kind of far away. Not maybe we're not so far. I don't want to get overly confident, but... Uh, that, that you can have events like that without Antifa or just without hecklers, um, that there's kind of a, you know, we're, we're in a slightly different era now, I think, where people yeah. are, are willing. I mean, I'm sure there's still some people who would love to, you know, sling tomatoes at us or whatever. But, like, I just think there's a general openness and, and, and a kind of exhaustion from a lot of people with, like, the worst aspects of the culture war. I, I do think it'll come back. We'll get into the culture war, and, you know, our event was called Acorns for the Culture War. We'll get into all these themes later. But I think there's we're in a bit of an ebb where where there is where people are kind of exploring new ideas, and I think that really was what the event was about for me, is that kind of openness, I guess. Because, you know, everyone there was, like, open to, like, conservative ideas, but I think that there was a, there was a wide variety of people there, and it was really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And I mean, I think there's just a hunger out there. And like, as you guys know, as writers on the right, um, you know, you know, people are just so excited to see anything that that isn't, you know, the kind of trash that is sold at my local Romans, you know, like, right, yeah, just anything that's just normal, that's just cool, that like, makes you feel like you're not just like this hated pariah in society. So I mm-hmm. think that feeding that Absolutely. hunger is good for people, it's good for the writers, the content creators, and like, I'm just hoping to see a lot more of it. And it's very exciting. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. It was a breath of fresh air, uh, as they say. <laughs> um, and on that note, um, yeah, so again, just to help, you know, plug this this thing, um, domestic, your book, your first book, Domestic Extremist, A Practical Guide to Winning the Culture War, comes out this Tuesday the 6th um, from Regnery Publishing. Uh, I I read it. I think Dan and I both checked it out in advance of this conversation. Absolutely. It's a, you know, oh, it's wow. a, it's a, it's a good, good long book. I think it's 300 pages about, but it, it goes down like water. It's very, very entertaining. Um, there's obviously, it's obviously polemical. There's kind of political polemics. You have a point, a very clear point of view. The book is sort of a, a manifesto in a sense, but it's also filled with humor and wit. And obviously you don't need to hear it from us, but you're, you're a great writer. <laughs> um, you oh, know, as it's you. reflected in the book, but also your American mind essays. These are entertaining. They, you know, they come from a conservative point of view, but also a very individual, you know, very distinctive voice uh, that you got going. Um, and the book's just Thank a lot you. of fun. Yeah. Thank you, you know, so much. Thank you sure, guys. Of course, of course. And, you know, just to give people a kind of a sense of the tone it is. And I, I want to get into like what's in the book. Um, but you know, it is, a, it is a political manifesto there. It is a practical guide to go into the culture war, but it's peppered with things like there's some great listicles in there. You got your own <laughs> version of the in this house sign. Um, I think right mm. at the front of the book, feminist bingo, uh, <laughs> these kinds of things. So yeah, again, just really, really filled with humor um, and a lot of personal anecdotes too, which I, I probably want to talk about in somewhat more, more depth later on but uh it's i think it's really cool how it's a book that both kind of presents ideas and sort of philosophical and moral and and religious at times reasoning for those ideas but also it's kind of a it's kind of a a bit of a personal memoir too wouldn't you say yeah yeah for sure i mean there's no way that i could have even written this book or you know become peachy you know without taking the journey that i took you know, mm-hmm. I, w- I was I I did I wasn't always like this. Like many people, I had like a long trajectory from mm-hmm. sort of like basic bitch, you know, liberal feminist, you know, um, 
random, <laughs> just whatever I was told, whatever I was like an NPC, like all my friends, you know, and uh, then finally awakening politically and then socially. And then, you know, finally I did convert to Catholicism, mm -hmm. but like my, the real moment that I can pinpoint to how I kind of developed like this peachy voice was really with when I, when I got on Twitter, my husband literally showed me how to use Twitter. He was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, Trump came on the scene and there was all these like funny memes and I didn't know where to find them. I was not on Twitter. And he's like, get off Reddit. Why are you on Reddit? Like, you have to, <laughs> let, me, let me help you make a Twitter account. Yeah, I was like, yeah. what's what's Twitter? And that was for how I sort of developed this voice. But I mean, it's my voice. I mean, you know, I'm not putting on really an act at all. This is me. I just wanted to be anonymous because at the time... You know, I was writing for a very large, uh, enormous entertainment media company. And, you know, I would have been beheaded uh, right. right in the office <laughs> if I had <laughs> dared express any of this stuff. But yeah, the book is filled with like my my trajectory and, and how I, you know, how I how I got this way. My origin yeah, no. story as a supervillain. <laughs> no, it's very cool. And kind of as you point out without doxing yourself, like you, you were a writer sort of before this. And it's it's cool to see how... Um, you know, bringing your talent for writing in with a, a newfound set of beliefs seems to me like a big part of the trajectory. Yeah, I think that um, one thing that has been lacking on the right is that, you know, a lot of people who have like, the, you know, they believe in things that we all agree agree with. But they're not going through the normal channels of like fiction workshops and, mm -hmm. you know, very kind of high elite um, writing workshops and working for these companies like Absolutely. ad agencies where you're like honing your craft and like figuring out how to write pithy, funny, yeah. you know, kind of like insightful magazines or whatever. Like that whole world has been sort of sealed off from mm -hmm. conservatives. And I mean... Right. Stuff, it, it does exist, but not to the like highly refined levels, you know, because they they yeah. run they run New York media, they run Hollywood, like they're all the screenwriters, right? So right. the ones who are like the dissidents, like us and a few guys I met at the event who are like in entertainment. Yeah. Um, you have to have this talent, but most of the talent, and this is the war you guys are fighting, is is being put to use to serve, you know, like the mob and writing trash and just pushing their narrative pushing their ideas bechtel tests and mm -hmm. you know diverse casting and all that crap and yeah. so we on the right well oh well, where are our base screenplays where's our yeah. base tv shows where's our base novels well i mean you know none of us are going to get into the iowa writers program although i do know one base guy with my cranker <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah you're done you're you're blackballed forever <laughs> Dad, <for that. laughs> So like for me, you know, I happen to have this like very long experience. Well, not that long, not that old, but like, you know, since I graduated college, I was an English major. I wrote for the school like humor magazine, which was sort of like their answer oh, to you mm. did too. Yeah. yeah. It was like their answer to the, to the lampoon, you know, and in like the nineties, you know, this sort of like very ironic, cynical Gen X voice was kind of like the thing, you know, um, and magazine writing had like a heyday. I would I was like obsessed with reading magazines, spy magazine, like all that love, yeah. all that stuff. Vanity Fair, uh, even Harper's and the New Yorker, they were great, you know. And they Esquire. Were, they were they yeah, oh, yeah Esquire like back in the was, day, magazines yeah. were, you know, they were fun yeah. to read. They had like stuff that you actually like it was the whole uh bright nationalist uh manse world uh refrain. Like, yeah, magazines used to be fun. They used to have stuff that people wanted to read but now um yeah it's so in a way it really creates a, a great opportunity for people like us totally people like ren uh to you know actually produce stuff that's it's readable yeah and you're seeing so many more of these um mark ranza with im76 mm -hmm. and um lomez's passage prize and there's all these sort of smaller period spring all these sort of smaller yeah. publishing houses and little magazines kind of blossoming in this like very online, like right wing, right wing sphere. And yeah. like, look, I mean, my book kind of was born out of that. <laughs> For some reason, like I, Lomas was joking with me, like that I'm like this crossover figure from like, you know, <laughs> the, the far right, frog yeah. Twitter to like, 
more normie like mega moms. Well, yeah, no, I wanted to talk about that because I think uh, in, in a positive sense, I think that's true. And especially recently, like you've gotten a little bit of at least a retweet from Ben Shapiro. Right. And you were on Dennis Prager's show, right? I was on Dennis. I'm going, I'm going on Dennis again. And like next week, you know, like you said, Matt, my book comes out on Tuesday. So they've got me booked on like all these huge shows. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Like and I'm supposed <clears throat> to like, I'm totally face fagging next week also. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. okay. Wow. Big, big, <laughs> yeah. Big, like, big, yeah. Well, for example, that's great though. Yeah. I mean, I would rather look, I love toiling in anonymity. That's like mm -hmm. much safer. See, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. do not long for the spotlight. Like, no. Um, but they were like, listen, wait, do you want to sell books or do you not want to sell books? And I was like, okay, greed works. <laughs> greed is yeah. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. Selling books. I I believe that you have like a tremendous pre-order on domestic extremists, right? Oh, what did you hear? Uh, well, I mean, like, I, <laughs> I think maybe it was you or, or someone posted um the Amazon ranking and like domestic extremists is already oh, right. like up there. Yeah, I do so, have a lot. Like, of, I do have a lot great. of pre-orders. I do have a lot no, of pre-orders. They told me. I mean, it's not like some like you know thousands of pre-orders, but you know, I was I was just excited to get like, oh, will I even get fifty? You know, and now it's oh, like yeah. hundreds, and yeah. they're like, that's apparently that's good for rankings, and I oh, don't even yeah. know why. Really, why you need pre-orders? But I've just been like working my butt off trying to get them. It's really tiring. Yeah. It's really exhausting. But Tuesday night. You know, that was the night that I mentioned this at the event, Matt. Mm -hmm. That was the night I was booked to go on Tucker Carlson's yeah. show, like live, my face, you know, like a whole number, go to the studio in, at Fox. And then his show oh. got canceled right after that. But I was yeah. relieved because I had been so like nervous. I was like, oh, no, I'm just going to free. I get stage fright, you know. Oh, sure. But, but they, that still would have been amazing. It kills me that it's not well, going to happen. They but still maybe, have but... me booked on Tuesday, but I just don't not sure who the host oh. is going to be. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. That should so, be interesting. Um, either uh -huh. way, I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, and I'm sure. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> If I sound slurred, that's just because I had to do like a couple of shots before the show. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I would be oh, nervous yeah. about that. I, I feel like I would be maybe like Tucker is so much like one of our people, but our I'm sure they're going to have a great, you know, host who's going to be know. sympathetic to the message. It'll, but yeah, whatever. I just have to no, but, have um, choice. Yeah, yeah. No, a couple things to unpack in that. Like, uh, one, I did want to just sort of highlight for your own uh, status with the book. Tucker, you know, is a fan of yours and does give you a great blurb. Um, and it's really a shame you won't, you know, that, that he won't be the one on Fox. But, uh, like, I imagine whatever he does next, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, you in dialogue with Tucker is still a thing that will happen um so so we'll look forward to that um tucker if you're listening you know just call me babe <laughs> no i'm sure he's a regular I'm sure listener he, he's, yeah he's, uh, I, he never misses a new ride i would like to think and um <laughs> you know we were we're tunneling toward each other i would say uh, um this sphere of twitter and i mean as you were saying sort of peachy like you're you're kind of this this uh connection between two two you know i don't like to call it the far right at all because i think it's not always that extreme uh, I mean, maybe no, it's extreme in a domestic extremist sense, uh, but 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 it, it, right. it is frog Twitter. It is something decidedly different, um, and I, I do think that you have a hand in both camps, which is really cool. You know, um, obviously, some people get sketched out by like a, a Ben Shapiro influence or something, but like I, I think it's great. I think new ideas <laughs> coming into audiences who are going to be sympathetic to them is a great thing, and I'm, I'm really excited uh, to see this. Um, I have some other thoughts on that. I will also add, you know, so you have the, I, I just wanted to, you know, sort of unpack this for people and sort of, um, you know, to, to the book's credit, uh, you have the Tucker blurb. You also have Molly Hemingway, uh, Mary Harrington, Alex Kashuda, Christopher Rufo, and a lot of other heavy hitters blurbing it. So I think, you know, kind of from the sort of based like post-feminist thing, lots of love for this book. Um, and then even just, yeah, from the slightly more mainstream conservative world still people fighting the, the good fight like rufo um i think i'm not surprised it has a lot of pre-orders because there's a lot of people who are giving it a lot of love and attention um and i think it i think it's gonna be a hit i think it already is well i mean from your lips to god's ears man okay <laughs> like you never know what these things 
you, I mean, who, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. I have, you know, very low expectations because I mean, what I read, I like, re, I was Googling like, well, how many books like average does like a nonfiction? It's lower than people think. <laughs> it's very low. Like yeah. the average book sells like less than a, you know, fewer than a hundred copies. And especially yeah. if you're a female, right. apparently I didn't know this. The nonfiction like world is like very heavily male, which yeah, is fine. So. <laughs> I'm very comfortable. Yeah. Like I find myself, you know, the, the women on the right, like we are always outnumbered and we're fine with that. Like, I don't care at all. Like <laughs> there are a few of us, there's like me, Mary Harrington, you know, a couple, Alex Kashuda. There's like a very, we're all friends, you know, behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Um, but it's definitely like a little more male oriented, but that's, that's totally fine. But like, uh, yeah, on Tuesday, Jesse Kelly has a book coming out. And like, I think oh, wow. Glenn Beck or like some other huge, you know, guys. So we'll yeah. see. I we'll think see you're just going to outsell them. I do. Um, Let's go. I, yeah. And not just like a glass ceiling thing. <laughs> like, but uh, <laughs> I think the, I think the, I haven't read, I don't actually, I'm not too familiar with even who Jesse Kelly is. I have to confess. I'm, I, I know the name. I obviously know who Glenn Beck is. Um, and I'm not trying to knock either of them. But but I think the ideas in yours are are really fresh and and delivered with it with the humor that uh, I think the energy is maybe on on your side. We will That's see. Awesome. Yeah, um, we'll see. Yeah, but even um sort of content wise, I think that you kind of represent uh, a unique <clears throat> sort of bridge between a more tried and true sort of conservative path or voice uh, with with the kind of frog Twitter thing. And I think this is for me embodied by um by a lot of the quotes you put at the headings of your chapters like obviously yeah. domestic extremists we'll get more i, I want to kind of give a rundown of, of the structure of the book because it gives people a good idea of what it is um you know it, it delivers a pretty you know a, a conservative message that a lot of people will be familiar with but you you back it up uh with quotes from the likes of bap um ernst Jünger, uh camille Paglia, you know who's not even right wing but she's a sort of frog twitter staple um you got some lana del rey lyrics in there uh mm -hmm. there's a lot of things there's a lot of elements mm -hmm. also you kind of just get into some deeper level topics that it would be unfamiliar to a more mainstream conservative audience like uh xenoestrogens uh in the in the food supply and, and in the environment <laughs> and, and and seed oils all these things are little shibboleths that um show that you are kind of cued into this world too but bringing it pretty harmoniously in um with with that with that more tried and true conservative message uh yeah i mean you know i those quotes and you know like the younger quote and stuff like that you know that is just you know this is where like the energy is and this is what like yeah. makes twitter fun for me yeah um definitely. to you know this is where the this is where like the humor is this is where like you know whatever ed the edgelord twitter mm -hmm. it's just like it's it it's great. And I have no problem with it. And I'm like, I'm like a, you know, I'm like a groupie, you know, of like, you know, <laughs> yeah. the Baptists or whatever. And um, I think that what has, I mean, that whole shift um, in the, in the right, whatever this like fringe is or whatever the populist right, I don't know. It's mm -hmm. like all the energy is here. Okay. Like Normie Khan energy. I mean, it's a good, it's an institution. It's really the only one we have on the right. Like, the, the you know NatCon and CPAC and all these things like nothing wrong with them, but they're not going to win hearts and minds. Do you know what I yeah, mean? They're a little totally. bit preaching to the choir. And my whole ethos, my whole mission, as like even beyond the book. I mean, this is actually the book is part of my my multi pronged strategy to you know save the West. Okay, right. Um, it's really about about attra being attractive to more people hearts their hearts and minds not mm. just preaching to the choir i can write a billion federalist articles i can write a billion american mind articles you know they're going to be read by people who agree with everything i'm saying okay but like if you can get someone especially like young to be attracted to something that's like a like a like a scene right like yeah. a vibe a movement with attractive young people funny they're hilarious like these jokes and if that can be more appealing than some like boring, stodgy, shrill, angry leftist, you know what I mean? That's who yeah. we're, that's who the competition is. And so like, how do we package our messages? Cause like we have them, we have these ideas of like how to live, how not to live, like what you should do with your life. How do we package them in a way that will can peel off people who are not yet fully 
you know, totally sterilized by, you know, the rainbow mob or whatever. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's, I think what you guys are doing, what's so important that you're doing this. I mean, it really is. Thank you. you Thank these, you. Yeah. I mean, these are the acorns for the culture. Like yeah. Dan, are you writing another book? I, I am. Yeah. Okay. I'm writing a sequel to Nutcracker. You are. It's okay. in its um, nascent stages, but um, it's coming along. And, and how uh, you just self-published that, right? Uh, no, that's actually through Terror House yeah. Press. Terror House, that's right. Okay. All right. Awesome. And they're doing the second one too? Well, we're, I'm not sure yet. It, okay. uh, it's something that, um, you know, when I say nascent, like I'm literally just kind of like writing it right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll we'll see. I'm uh, I'm open to uh, offers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Terror, uh, Terror, Terror, House, Terror House, they're great. Got it. It's not Got wonderful. It. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, just no. got it. Uh, yeah, and, and also even with um... regard to moving into the mainstream, like one thing that you know I think is important to note with domestic extremists, like Recknery, that that's a mainstream publisher, and the conservative quotes, but mainstream they, definitely. Yeah, yeah, the the blurbs you're getting, that is like you you are one of the first anons to like as far as I can tell to like really kind of break out of our a non uh you know twitter ghetto <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know kind of breach the mainstream and that's yeah. like that's important to note here and just you know this is in, in some ways you know your book is a bit of a milestone i feel mm-hmm. yeah that's so interesting i it did occur to me recently that i i think i'm the first like anonymous or pseudonymous writer that regnery has ever published i mean they publish for those who don't mm-hmm. know like and Coulter, Molly Hemingway, I think like Mark Levin, you know. Ted Cruz's like, book. Yeah. <laughs> which who? Ted Cruz's who? book, I think. Ted Cruz uh, probably. Yeah. Um, I think they just did the new Josh Hawley, although I'm not yeah, 100% sure. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. They're doing Megan Basham. They just, they did uh, Mary Harrington's American version of her new book, which came out hmm. last, like in March, um, Feminism Against Progress, which is also great. Um, so they definitely are moving into this more like edgier, you know, people, but no one that's been in a non. And like one of the things we would talk about, they were like, well, how are you going to promote your book if you won't show your face? Like, can you wear a, a like a, hmm. a, one of those like Mexican wrestling masks? Like, <laughs> how are we going to get you to sell the book? And I was like, I, I mean, I don't know. And so finally they just kind of wore me down, which is why next yeah. week, you know, I'll be, I'll be displaying my little self out there. I but think yeah, it's it fair is... enough. I think you've hit a big enough audience that I <laughs> yeah, mean that's you know. a very personal decision, but I, I can see why, you know, that you it's ready, you know, you're you're ready to take that step. Yeah, like you said, I'm not so much afraid that like Antifa is gonna come and burn my house down. You know, I'm not that famous yet. I am more worried about the people who know me but who don't know me as Peachy, right? Who are of in for like a little bit of a surprise yeah. if they happen to watch Fox News, which none of them do because they're libs. So that yeah. will be. <laughs> You It'll might be, be a surprised at moment. like how 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 little anyone knows or cares. I mean, not that I have personal experience with it. I just yeah, no one I do cares. think yeah, it's like obviously Tucker had an issue with Antifa, but I mean he's so mainstream. You know, he's so visible and so and so much of a culture warrior every night back when he was on Fox that eventually someone takes issue. But a lot of us can. For a long time, I'm not overly optimistic. There's there's issues. There could be issues down the line, but but a lot of us, I think, can kind of fly under the radar a good amount. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, that. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. No, go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. I was going to say, I suspect that it will also potentially serve as a bit of a filtering mechanism, where like you know people who uh, you know see what your ideas are and you know what you're about, your friends. Well, like the the ones who like actually, you know, are real good friends, they they won't care. Or if they do care, they'll continue to engage with you. Yeah. And people who are just kind of like knee jerk, like, oh, I can't associate with someone who has X, Y and Z belief. Well, they you know probably weren't great friends to begin with. Yeah, I mean, the good news is that uh, we have basically shed all of our shit lib friends at this point. Yeah, congrats. Like, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, they kind of, I think it wasn't like explicit, but they kind of got the message when we kept having child after child. Right. Like was, I was like, you say. know, yeah. I, I wasn't <laughs> like other girls, you know what I mean? Something, something was wrong with me. 
And so, you know, these are people like on the west side of L.A. or New York City. And, you know, uh, they'll be shocked, I'm sure. But like, I don't talk to them. I'm not going to miss anything if they decide to like, you know, you're dead to me or whatever. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. At this well, point, you... I'm, I'm insulated enough by cool people and friends in real life and online. Yeah. that I feel like a little bit of a, a cushion there. Definitely. I mean, you talk about that a little bit of the book. And in some ways, it's almost maybe part of the message of the book is like, it's not even always about um, the beliefs you wear on your sleeve. Uh, it's kind of more about, I'm going to ask you to define you know, the very basic question of defining domestic extremism uh, as you define it in a moment. Um, but but it's almost like you embrace this, I don't even want to call it a lifestyle, because that feels like a, a sort of a live word in itself. You, you embrace this traditional, you know, way of being, you know, having children, etc, maintaining a house and um, just naturally people know that that means you're conservative like it's not like you need to right. tell them and just it put and you hear this even even from people in a totally apolitical way talking about how once they have kids uh they have trouble relating to people who don't um it's this kind of beautiful process of nature that you engage in um that takes you with it and again it's not always about philosophy and kind of getting convinced of one set of beliefs or another it's about embracing like a role and a vocation yeah no exactly it is a vocation and mm -hmm. um you know when you get to a certain number of children you kind of like transcend like worrying about what people think of you because you're yeah. like well i'm like committed now i am leaned all the way in yeah. to parenthood yeah. A lot of the moms I I knew, um, you know, back in the day, um, living in a like a little bit of a bluer area, you know, they would have maybe one or two kids, and they were always trying to get out of their mother time. Like they had to escape all the time, mm -hmm. girls weekends, girls nights, like you know the, that whole culture of yeah. getting away, <laughs> yeah, from the kids at all times. Like and um, that that's exhausting. You know, that's that's not a good way to live. I don't think yeah. anyone should you're feel in like rebellion torn. with your own nature on some level. Yeah, you're being yeah. torn in half and being with the kids is just like you can't even deal because at work it's so quiet, it's peaceful, you can get your shit done. So my thing was just finally like, well, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm I'm gonna lean into it. Um mm -hmm. and that's it. And this is number one thing. I mean, I still do all this stuff. I still I somehow wrote a yeah. book. I don't know how. Right. Yeah. Um but yeah, you have to just switch your mindset. It, it makes life so much easier. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, on, on a very basic level, uh, what is this, you know, modest proposal of domestic extremism as presented by the <laughs> book? I know we kind of just talked about it, but but how would you, in a nutshell? Yeah, I <laughs> mean, obviously the title is is ironic. Um, you know, yeah. the other, the left thinks we're the extremists, but, you know, we're actually the ones who just want to live the way people were living with within recent memory, like right. normal normal people with beliefs that people have been ha having all through, you know, since the founding of this country, like mm -hmm. um, basic stuff. This is not rocket science. You know, I didn't like uncover new brand new ideas. Here they are. I'm just they just all have become taboo. All these ideas right. now. Yeah. And so a domestic extremist is someone who is going to basically pull themselves out of mainstream culture and all the bad ideas, all the new ideas, all the all the the, the madness, they're going to reject it totally and they're going to lean into what I call, you know, domesticity, you know, which is kind of a big word. I, I don't mean like housework, okay? I just mean like refocusing yourself towards, you know, who you are, a like a long-term um relationship that's stable, that's mm -hmm. loving. And that it, you can have a that you can like raise a family in and like not just like get married, have kids, but also commit to someone like, you know, this is like yeah. a book that counsels against things like open marriages or polyamory <laughs> or like <laughs> yeah. or like being on Tinder for 10 years and having a three digit yeah. body count like, you know, staying on birth control for 25 years, having multiple abortions, like all this stuff that's sold as like, this is how you live as a woman. This is all good for you. It's like, well, but like, is it? Though? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like maybe, maybe that's actually not going to be conducive to your long-term health and well-being, you know? And that's really what the book is about. I'm trying to say these very taboo things, like don't do that stuff. And like, you're not allowed to say this anymore, which is completely insane that no, you definitely. can't say to yeah. a woman, 
you know, when you have a newborn, you know, the best thing for you and the kid is probably to like be around the kid as much as possible. Like, how dare you? How dare you suggest such a crazy thing? So, you know, being extremely domestic is just like my cute way of saying like, you know, tell, tell, get rid of all that, all those bad ideas. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I mean, it's yeah, easy no. to do no, in, yeah. in a sense, because I'm mean, not easy to do, not like it's easy to reject the, you know, the values of your peers and, you know, your culture. But when you remember that these are the values, basically since the dawn of time, <laughs> <laughs> which were you right. know, kind of like, these are the values that lead to the propagation of the species. So... Yep. You know, I mean, like when you place it into context, like, oh, well, maybe uh, the values since like 1965 are not the most you know, exactly. reasonable yeah. and healthy values. And that you know, I think gives, you know, uh, you and others um, a real sort of like ammunition and, you know, confidence because you're standing on the bedrock of, of you know, what historically has been true. So. Yeah, I, I like to say that, you know, we all every single person alive today comes from a long line of domestic extremists, right? Like back, back to pre- prehistoric cavemen. Okay, right. The reason we're here is that people we're that we come from the people who are able to figure out how to how to find a mate to reproduce and like keep yeah. those babies alive. <laughs> okay, yeah. like where we all have this history, this like, long genetic like lineage. And somehow we've all forgotten. Like yeah. all that information, all that kind of like ancestral knowledge has been burned. <laughs> and there's and, like this new way now to be. And I'm just like, I don't want to, I want anything to do with it. And how sad it is to be, you know, potentially a, a genetic dead end. That's right. You have like yeah. your, your DNA, you know, since the beginning of, you know, time, you know, led to you, you know, the, your, you know, Completely. parents and, you know, ancestors on and on. And because, you know, you're focusing on being, uh, you know, a marketer <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're dating apps, whatever, like, you know, oh, well, I mean, I guess, you know, she missed her window and she's not going to yeah. have children. That's yeah. just really. And I mean, like for men, I mean, OK, there's no real window. I mean, like as uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, <laughs> that's right. easily proven. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, nevertheless, you know, many men, you know, and I mean, throughout time, many men, of course, you know, do not have children or, you know, uh, unsuccessful. But that that too is, you know, Lindy, uh, in a way, you know, just uh, men will not, uh, across the board, be successful at procreating. And women, you know, generally will be because of, you know, various biological reasons, which makes sense when you right. think about yeah. that. I mean, I, I really like how you kind of emphasize like this, that this is a natural process that you can kind of lean into. I mean, it's, you know, to, to, to make your life about this creative act of, of having a family. And, and it's kind of insane how much there is that dissuades um, young people and especially young women away from doing that. But like very, it's just a, as you kind of said earlier, it's like a very simple mindset difference of leaning into that. It's not like a, it's not really like a lift yourself up by your bootstraps and do this great thing thing. It is a little bit of that. And, and, you know, the sort of unfortunate economic realities may be, may involve, like, it's not always going to be easy, but, but I, there really is this strong sense, like this is the natural way and you just have to attune yourself to it and you're going to be happier and the people around you um, are going to multiply <laughs> when they're children, uh, but but they're going to be happier, and it's what's best for everybody. And this is where we all came from. I think it's a really beautiful aspect of the book, the way that's spelled out. Well, thank you, Matt. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, one of the first like sort of germs of this idea for my editor at Regnery was like, you know, we want to, we we need to get people, get women to make more babies, you mm-hmm. know? And like, everyone has been thinking about that. Now this idea of like pronatalism has become like a meme and it's become this sort of like, kind of like mini trend. People are talking about how do we stop, you know, Indian Bronson's always talking about this. <laughs> um, Elon Musk. Um, how do we, how do we prevent total population collapse? Because I think the TFR for the average woman now is way below two, you know, 2.1 is yeah. the replacement rate. 
And I think now the latest numbers are like one, 1. 1.6. And that's extremely low. And America used to have the highest in like the developed world. You know, we were way, way, we were having way more kids than like the French or the Italians. Yeah. Like they're, they're in a death spiral and they have been for a long time. But now we're in a death spiral. And yeah. it's, you know, and Alex Kashuda has talked about this. And I'm actually going to a natalism conference. Um, Kevin Dolan is having in mm. Austin, or is it? Yeah, in December with like the colleges. That, you know. But yeah, it's awesome that you're going. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, Simone Collins, Malcolm, those, that couple that I think Alex just had them on her podcast. And people who are also concerned about this problem. So my approach to it was like, well, okay, you're never going to convince the like blue haired, you know, marketing chick at the office who's like a furry on the weekends who lives in like a Mm. polyamorous, you know, compound or whatever. Like you're never going to convince her to be like, have three children, you know, you can do it. No. So my, you know, I mean, we're going to peel off like some of the young women, I hope, but really, I'm looking at young families, young couples who have figured out like, okay, I wanted to fall in love with someone. I think I found the right person. We want, I want to have a child. And people feel like they can't have more than one or more than two. Like there seems to be a real scary line between like two and three kids. And, uh, you know, I'm my point to these people is like, look, if you can get two, a third is like really no big deal. Like it's really not, yeah. you know. And throw them in there, just do it. And they might be an easier sell for this message than the, you know, than the 38 year old cat lady (laughs) who has up armored her innards, you know, for years. Like you're not going to really get her to, oh yeah, I think I'll go and like have twins. Like (laughs) she might be definitely a a harder sell, but I think, look, these women, I'm worried they're going to make be making a huge mistake. And wasting, like, yeah, you waste your 20s, you waste your 30s. These are the best years of your youth, right? You're at your prettiest, you're at your most fertile, you're at your most, like, attractive, right? For normal, natural, biological reasons. Those are real because those are the years that you can attract a man and have a baby or whatever. And women are, like, squandering this incredible, these riches, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're squandering them on you know like caleb from west elm okay and yeah like, <laughs> like who knows absolutely who. and just you know on the on the dating apps and i mean i i was look i am like i said i'm gen x i was never on a dating app but we we definitely thought our 20s were first for like raging and having yeah. fun yeah. and going out and like we were the whole thing was avoid pregnancy don't get don't settle down like you don't even want a boyfriend like we're having all well, the going out parties whatever I mean, I wasn't like that crazy, but, um, you know, then, then like, we'll do that when we're old, like in our thirties, you know? And like, to this day, my husband and I regret that we didn't meet when we were a little younger. I mean, I met him in my late twenties that we didn't, we could have had a couple more kids if we had started. Cause once you get into it, it's, it sucks to feel like, Oh, I'll never have another one. What if you, if you want one, even, you know, you kind of age out and you age out quickly. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm hoping that like people will, I mean, people have actually said to me, I read an article you wrote in American mind and I decided to have another baby that's happened. To yeah, me. no, that's great. That must so, make you feel amazing. <laughs> yeah. It does. I'm like, you better name it after me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is my name? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. You don't have, you don't have to do that. No one has to name their baby. Peachy. <laughs> <laughs> name your cat peachy. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's why I wrote the book. Peachies out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we just, and part of that for me, like, like you were saying in the beginning, Matt, like making the book fun, like you're making it entertaining. This is not an academic book. I am not an academic. I'm not a PhD. I mean, I went to a really good college, but like, I was pretty lazy student. Okay. So I'm like, not some, like, (laughs) 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 yeah, it's funny. All the people I know who are really great at Twitter, like we all kind of like, uh, slacked off (laughs) as much as possible, like in our academic careers. But I still, you know, look, I graduated magna cum laude. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> but if we, if I, I feel like if I can make it fun and make it appealing, make it cool, that attracts people more than like some school marm standing over them, like, get married. What do you do? You know? And yeah. like you guys are making your, what your work that you're doing, it's appealing because it's fun. It's cool. And that just alone attracts people to the message, which they then get like secondarily, you know? 
Yeah, no, definitely. That's kind of a little bit of the acorn, or part of the acorns for the culture war idea that Yarvin talks about and that we named that event after. Um, and I like, yeah, with you, your message is very much, you know, it's sort of entertainingly hyperbolic domestic extremism. But at the same time, it's also, I think, very simple. Um, you kind of keep it simple and accessible, what you're saying. You have a lot of people in sort of capital T, traditionalist, more academic type of circles, um, I guess, online and traditionally, you know, wherever, um, where it's all about, we have to go way back, you know, to the, to the roots of, you know, the scourge of modernity and take it up by its roots. But your idea presents something much more simple, which is like, even, even, you know, the, the mores of like the eighties and nineties were preferable to now. And, you know, there's, there's kind of like this right wing critique of that idea where it's like, Oh, if we only go back 10, 20 years, we're just going to end up back where we are now. But I think, I think there's an, I don't, I, I don't look at it that way. I look at much mm. more like a, a basic sort of small T traditionalism can be a door to something uh, much, much greater and more perennial. And I, mm. I kind of feel that a lot in your work because you are very Gen X, which is another thing. I mean, maybe we'll talk about it a little more and that I like about your writing is that it's so much from that Gen X perspective. Um, you even in your anecdote about meeting your husband, you tie it into sex in the city in a really entertaining way because you did meet in Manhattan. Maybe we'll talk about that more. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's that very much that like, you know, e even because I guess, yeah, we can even talk about sex in the city a little bit more now. Like, uh, you know, even a show that says, quote unquote, degenerate is that uh, and that that does kind of show that you know party hard in your 20s thing you were talking about even that by today's standards um has these little tidbits of something slightly more traditional like the fact that carrie bradshaw is always trying to marry mr bitch right. he does want she doesn't really talk about kids pretty much ever but uh and she's you're know, like radically pro-abortion and, and all this stuff but at the same time there is that orientation towards some kind of um settling down with something a little more traditional and um you know your book is obviously a lot more uh noble than sex in the city but but like at the same time it sort of brings you know even even a more gen x take on what that would look like um and ultimately i don't think your book is like that you know ultimately your book is very traditional and very conservative um but at the same time it, it kind of has a it's it's a simple proposal like just look at the way your parents were, or were or were not, but, you know, look at look at what a normal family looked like, even in the 70s or 80s, and, like, that's better than we have today. I, does that resonate with kind of what you were setting out to do? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, speaking of Gen X, it's just, it is interesting, I realized after that uh, me, Curtis, and Tacos are all Gen X. Oh, very Which much. I think yeah. is very interesting. Um, I'm not sure why that is. I mean, there's a lot of like younger, you know, millennial writers who are also good, but it was just funny to be up there. I'm like, oh, these three old fogies. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't, I think, I don't think of Gen X as old fogies. I think, I think Gen X is kind of cool right now with a lot yeah. of like Zoomers. They kind of yeah. see and Brady Sinellis. Cool. Yeah. The nineties are cool. Brady Sinellis, who's kind of conservative. He's not conservative, but he's, he, I'm sure, you know, you're familiar. He's like based ish. Yeah. He's you know based ish. I mean? And he <clears> talks about this, how there's a lot of sort of, dissident yeah. uh gen xers because they had um you know in his context he's not talking about family you know he comes from a very different vantage point as a, as a gay man yeah. as a writer but yeah he talks about but but i think there is something related you know he talks about how gen x was a generation that compared to millennials and, and zoomers got a taste of that sort of freedom of the way culture was um earlier on and you know that obviously that freedom was was specifically not conservative a lot of the time but um, there's still something vital about it that's missing about that's missing from a lot of millennial culture yeah. today. And, you know, in an ideal world, you have that lovely freedom and then you craft it into something like a family or something like domestic extremism. There is that path of life thing that's animated by that vitality. It's kind of a little more esoteric, but um, but I think there's something to that and there's something to that sort of a lot of Gen X people, uh, frankly, uh, conservative and not conservative alike, I think kind of miss that greater vitality and freedom and, and reject um, a lot of the sort of woke stuff and a lot of the other restrictive COVID austerity crap mm -hmm. of the past few years. Yeah, I think for some reason, the Gen X is like uh, better able to resist because we're just more more cynical. And so like if things look like stupid, 
you know, we're going to like think those are stupid. We're not for <laughs> some reason that like G that like radar detecting, you know, is not as strong in younger generations. I'm not really sure why. Um, and, but also part of it comes from the fact that a lot of us survived boomer divorces. Yeah. And I mean, I, I certainly did. And I remember, um, way before I met my husband, when I was still in my sex in the city, you know, fun phase thinking like, well, if I ever do settle down, like I am never going to subject my children to what I and my siblings had to go through, yeah, which was like a divorce, which, and it wasn't like a horrible divorce. It was amicable, but it still tore our lives apart. It still blew up everything, you know, to this day, it still affects all of us. Um, it affects our kids, you know, um, and I just vowed like, okay, that's, I'm going to use my parents' mistakes as like a what not to do. Yeah. Okay. In many ways. And that, that, that worked. Now, one of my siblings did end up getting divorced, but it wasn't him doing the divorcing. Like yeah. he definitely did try to avoid, you know, the mistakes that um, our parents made. And in terms of sex in the city, yeah, that was a touchstone show. I mean, Alex Kashuda has talked about it. It was sort of like, you know, girls but like you said matt they're still looking for like the traditional like big big merit big romance you know yeah. mr big the like dream the prince charming cinderella story but before you meet him here's like 15 other guys you'll you know hook up with yeah and we thought it was just very glamorous and you know move to new york and the streets are the streets are paved with manola blonics you know you're just mm -hmm. gonna the streets are paved with guys and it's gonna be so fun and uh you know, those characters, I don't watch the new show. I can't. I can't oh, I can't either. Yeah. <laughs> I can't bear to look at it. But also the, the thing is, though, that you didn't notice at the time that these women were leading lifestyles that were a little bit kind of gross, like they're being kind of like, you know, a little slutty. You didn't notice it because it was super fun. It was funny. It was kind of glamorous. Like my mother was like encouraging me to move to New York because we love the show. Right. Like she did. <laughs> did she did. Even she did put it together like do I really want her like yeah, doing, being, being Samantha like or no Miranda like me or Samantha I, no yeah, probably Samantha. not mm -hmm. yeah yeah Samantha was the wild one it's like um, the show was still even though bad stuff happens in it it was still oriented towards something that's by today's standards wholesome you know sort totally, of maybe, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's not maybe that's giving it too much credit I don't know if it's really oriented towards something that was wholesome but there still was a sense like you're go you're doing this dating because you want to meet someone which right. um I don't want to discredit my fellow millennials too much I think a lot of obviously a lot of people want to meet someone uh but there's a little more um you know some more modern shows which I, I also would maintain are wildly entertaining while displaying this kind of thing like um you know girls the linda Dunham show from 10 years ago and then uh or you know five ten years ago and, and now euphoria uh you know it, it kind of tracks like uh a degradation I, again I, I actually like both of those shows you know maybe as a guilty pleasure but like so i'm not i'm not even knocking the shows i just think you can kind of track the degradation of you know, yeah. you talk about this a lot, like, you know, the war on normal people. I think that's an Andrew Yang turn of phrase. You don't call it the war on normal people. But, you know, <laughs> re-normalizing re normal, this kind of thing. Sex and the City kind of still existed in that normal universe. Right. Uh, whereas girls, um, I think very poignantly, girls, the Lena Dunham show, kind of started to show the fading frontier of that kind of normalcy. And then Euphoria sort of shows the complete... Uh, louding of it um but it's all it's all you know one could write cultural studies you know through through the lens of these shows mm. absolutely i liked girls i thought it oh, was yeah. well written yeah, i think i think she, i think lena was a really great writer um it was very very clever um you know i didn't i didn't enjoy her level of nudity okay <laughs> sure like yeah. you know it's clearly she has like you know she's like a super narcissist okay like needing to show herself nude in every which way incredibly unflattering um scenes that like i would never you could put a gun to my head and i'd be like just shoot me because i'm never gonna yeah. do anything like that um euphoria i i admit i don't watch but i've seen like clips of much. it yeah i read, I read <laughs> yeah. a lot about it and I find it to be, I mean, look, I'm sorry, it's a form of child pornography. And yeah. especially for those young actors, like they're 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 acting, but still here's like young people who are being 
put in these situations where I just feel like, I mean, I would never want to be That's Jacob, Alor- Jacob yeah. Alordi's mother. You know what I mean? Like that, the, 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 the cute guy on it, it just looks like, uh, it's quote realistic, like the drug use and stuff. And like, well, it's glamorized. I actually don't. Yeah, I don't. I do think it glamorizes it. And I don't think it's realistic. I know I just said that I mm-hmm. liked it and have watched it. So I, you know, I, I not even, but like, but that being said, it's definitely like kind of um, stylized. Like, it's, I, <laughs> I, it's entertaining because it's so vile. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, which maybe that says something about me that I do watch it, but we don't even. I guess we don't need to split hairs over that. But, <laughs> but I, I'm not. I don't disagree. Maybe it's a weird show to even put in the same conversation as as girls and sex in the city because it it is a very different beast. <laughs> Well, I think it shows a real, you know, progression, as you say, of degradation in the sense that so like we remember Sex in the City, um, you know, Samantha obviously was like, you know, uh, like in some sense, like a cool character and her sleeping around was like um, valorized in a certain sense. But I think ultimately the show like it does condemn her in some sense because all the other characters are kind of like oh samantha's at it again and they're like essentially Mm -hmm. kind of like all trying in some way to find a guy and like you know obviously like carrie is trying to find big and you know and has a thing for him and so like you take that through line to euphoria and like you know, it's it's not. I mean, okay, and they are as as you say, uh, you know, they're younger, <laughs> so the uh, you know, they're not um, you know, in uh, marriage mindset, uh, perhaps. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, there there's less, I think, of a um, a moral emphasis on you know, obviously on traditional values, and that's like something that I, I think you know, in, in some weird way was visible in sex in the city. Yeah. And, and here we are now. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, there would never be a show now or a movie that's sort of like valorizing a young couple, like falling in love. And that's being, that being a good thing with no problems associated with it. You know, it's always going to be Absolutely. bad. Of course, Romeo and Juliet, they didn't, that didn't turn out so well, but like, if you look at frozen, like, I don't know if you guys have young girls, but I had to watch Frozen and mm-hmm. Frozen 2, like, many, many times, okay? And they're they're really, it's they're terrible. Frozen 2 is a horror Yeah, I never saw the movie. second one. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, I could really not sit through it. But in the end, uh, Elsa, the Ice Prince, the Queen, the Beautiful, you know, she ends up, like, like a in, she's, like, an incel, or she's, like, asexual, or maybe she's, yeah. a, maybe she's a lesbian. We're not sure. Yeah. And then Anna, her sister, who's sort of like the kind of narrator of the whole thing, she, you know, has this like dopey guy, the big dopey white guy, and he like doesn't know how to ask her to marry him. He's a complete like kind of loser. She wears the pants. And it was like, it's just, you know, I mean, it's like feminism 101 for little girls, you know, like you tell him, you know, when you want to get married. Yeah. No, they've I find that subverted stuff so destructive. The whole, yeah. yeah, they've subverted the whole like Cinderella, you know, the fairy tale, traditional um, notion of romance. Now the new one, I, mean, I don't know if we have to go on a Disney tangent here, but like, no, I don't even want to see the new one. Yeah, the, yeah. The I didn't even know one. there was a, oh, The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, it's you know, so much propaganda. Uh, I mean, in a perverse, in a very perverse way, I think that's one of the reasons people do like shows like Euphoria. I think the messages are, the message of that show is bad. But when, when the, the when the alternate, when, when so much of entertainment is like this, um, moralism but it's not our moralism it's a very different mm-hmm. kind of moralism i think people glom on people do like just how dangerous something like euphoria feels of course there's there's an alternative to both of them which is which is a better sort of moral message that you know we'll see you know post vibe shift as they as they call it like maybe there will be better movies and entertainment there is good stuff coming out now but um but but not not on that mainstream level yet and We'll see where things go. Um, I want to get back to the book in a moment, but because I do think it's always interesting to ask sort of somewhat unexpected questions 
of people. And I, I feel like it's kind of interesting to get your take on this pop cultural stuff since it's not always what you're writing about. Uh, and, and no worries if you don't know, you know, know what's mine. But our 